Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. What's up, everybody? Jim, I'm pumped up. That's good. I'm pumped up. I'm excited. Like, I'm super excited. What's it, what's it called when you're, like, just jacked up? You get a shot of, uh, get a shot of, uh... Cocaine. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Adrenaline, Jim. <laughs> Adrenaline. We talked about this. I said I needed some help with my fancy intro. Oh, you didn't tell me what to say. I, I said, just remember like, the word adrenaline. I just kind of thought I'd throw you off. Well, you did. Put a little, uh, <laughs> whatever they call, throw a wrench in the uh, in the old system there. I'm moving forward with this whole thing. Do it. You know what the purest form of adrenaline is, Jim? What's that? It's whitetail adrenaline. That's right. That's, do you like that? If that would have worked out, that'd probably been it pretty cool. It did work out. What do you mean if it would have? Sitting across from us, via modern technology, we've got Jared Scheffler from Whitetail Adrenaline, ground and pound whitetail hunting master, and to my knowledge, the last man standing in the hunting DVD game doing a phenomenal job creating dynamic, super exciting hunting videos. And uh, here he is, everybody. We got him. We got him right here for you. Jared, how's it going, buddy? Good, good. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate that. I don't know about I'm a master ground hunter. I mean, you've seen the videos. I mess up all the time, right? <laughs> master, master ground hunt. Well, I'm really, master at trying. <laughs> master at trying. I'll say I'm going to keep master, master mechanic. Are you an ASC certified master truck technician? No, that's why they keep breaking down. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen... We're going to get to this. I've never seen so many flat tires, uh, belts come off. Jim, actually, you, you would, they would benefit from adding you to the crew with all your car fixing experience. I don't know about that. But, uh, Jared, welcome. Well, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. I'll keep my schedule open. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to have Jared introduce himself here as well. But uh, just, just for the listeners out there, as you can imagine, uh, I think we've said in a couple other videos right now with the timing, Jared actually is local to us-ish in Wisconsin. But Mark and I are doing a terrible job of social distancing right now, being yes. in the same room. But we aren't doing as many in-person uh, podcasts right now. So we're going via internet connection, and the interwebs are full, I'm sure, of many other meetings going on. So anyways, if you hear any little glitches here and there, MC Ryan's pretty good at editing that out, but just heads up. Good good disclaimer there, Jim. And we had yeah, we had this one on the docket. We it was locked yeah, and loaded. It was. You were right. going to visit in the in the flesh and yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> in the, in the real form, yeah. The, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Jared, well, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you have going on what you're doing and then we'll probably just start uh peppering you with questions so sure yeah as you kind of mentioned mark um we do whitetail hunting dvds uh we've gotten an elk over the last few years but we started out our first season was filmed in 07 so way back in 2007 yeah and i uh, just kind of wanted to produce something that was just raw and authentic and just just guys going out there having a good time showing the mistakes showing the misses the mishaps all of that stuff and uh, just have a lot of fun with it. So people really seem to kind of enjoy the first video. And then uh, we launched the All Public Land series the following year. And then that's the way that we've ran the company ever since. So every year we come out with, for, for the first six seasons, it was one DVD a year, gun and bow on it. 
and then we transformed or started releasing a bow edition and a gun edition each year ever there ever since thereafter so uh but yeah we just uh all of our content is dvd except for the trailer videos that kind of just that format's worked out but like you say i mean it's 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 the dvd it's the 90s man the dvds man <laughs> <Get your DVD. laughs> I, i'm dude i can't say this enough Dust off if if it's not it's if it's not an operational order if you put it away if it's in the basement dust off that DVD player get yourself one of these all of these DVDs you probably have the time right now yeah you there's a high likelihood you may have some extra that, time I'd say that's a high high likelihood and uh, you know I well when we were talking a little bit earlier you sell a lot of these DVDs generally in in person like at the different shows right yeah yeah I'd say you know uh, shows. That's a big that that's mainly how we fund the company for like the first few you know first few months of the year throughout the shows and then like right now we're stepping into the more of the edit side so for like the next 3 4 months most likely 4 <laughs> hopefully not 8 <laughs> <laughs> that's how we fund it until our new videos come out and then our online sales kind of like mainly take over from there and then retailers you know that's the time of year that you know, retailers like Shields or uh, bow shops and whatnot will carry the the videos. So um, from that point forward, obviously we don't have shows in the fall. Um, so that's kind of like just a small, you know, I guess breakdown of of how we do it. Um, but uh, but yeah, the DVDs. I mean, we still sell a bunch of them. People really enjoy them. It's standard def quality. Um, <laughs> we've been filming everything in 4K um, and produce it all the way up into the point. To where it goes on a, a DVD, um, it's all 4K for the last four seasons. It's just there's been some limitations as far as we fund this entirely upon people purchasing the actual production and uh, the third-party aggregators and things like that that it's going to take right now that we've researched um, just take too big of a slice of a pie. We, we just don't have a big margin of uh, at the end of the year, there's not a lot of <laughs> cushion there. Right. If, if, so we know what we have with our DVD market right now, and uh, and so that's why we we just haven't made that switch yet. We haven't found the right aggregate aggregator, the right partner to work with to be able to secure that it's going to work for us. Yeah, in that if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I, I think it's cool though, man. I mean, like you know, I I grew up. Jim, I'm going to date myself here, but you know, I grew up kid, loved to hunt and fish. But in the beginning, there was basically zero video hunting content. If you caught a hunting show, it was like once a year, and it was like something you just glued yourself to the television for. You know, I watched TNN Outdoors come and go. I watched the Men's Channel come and go. You know, Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, uh, Pursuit Network, those guys are, you know, kind of all in place. But these were all kind of came in later in the game. And I also, and I miss it, and I love it, and I think this is why I love the fact that you're still producing DVDs, you know, my buddies and I, Jim, we used to get together and, you know, the new new Duckman video would come out or, you know, the the, the Truth Big Bull 7. You'd, you'd get, get together with your buddies with maybe, a, you know, a half rack of bushies, maybe a bottle of brown liquor and uh, <laughs> and and watch uh, watch hunting shows. Hell yeah. And it was awesome. It was social. It, it, it is. And it, <laughs> it was the opposite of what we're doing right now. It was right the opposite now. of what the world is doing at this point in time. Uh, yeah, no, it's true. What I would recommend people do is like you said, dust off the old DVD player. Or if you can, what I did was I went out and got an old Xbox, which can play DVDs. But then I, when I'm not watching a DVD can play Cabela's big game hunter. (laughs) 
So, <laughs> so you get, you get that adrenaline pump going after watching white tail adrenaline. And then you swap the disc for Cabela's big game hunter and you go run around any place in the world you want. That sounds like a lot of adrenaline right there. <laughs> Double whammy. Oh yeah. Oh I'm, yeah. I'm glad your heart still works. <laughs> I know. Right. It's a, uh, it's a workout. What, uh, so you talked a little bit about how, how you got into this, Jared, but like, when did you, like, I'm going to, I'm going to assume Wisconsinite, I'm going to assume you, you probably grew up hunting whitetails, but I'm also going to assume that you didn't start out predominantly hunting from the ground. I did not. Um, but at age 16 is where I first remember kind of starting to dabble in the ground hunting. So I grew up on a small farm. My dad did a, a quite a bit of hunting. And when we would go out in the woods, so my dad would take me out into the woods hunting and, and whatnot. But uh, when we went out, uh, he we didn't have tree stands. And uh, even tree pegs, I mean, maybe a couple, you, you know, were laying around the farm or whatever. But outside of that, it was like we'd go walking out and he'd like point up to a tree like, you think he can get up in that crotch? You know, <laughs> it might be 15 feet, it might be 25 feet up there, you know, but it's like. I'd shimmy up there and use the branches and stand, you know, on the branches. And that's how I hunted. You know, I never used a tree stand until I was actually 17. I finally bought a, a 10 pound light tree stand that, uh, summit made it. You could hang the strap and then hook the tree stand on it. And, uh, I started using them to some degree, but, um, 16 is the first age where I remember I was, uh, on my way to school and, noticed a big buck out in some wide open country where there was no trees. So that, you know, I, I took off after him, got close, but I didn't get close enough for a shot. Later that evening, I, uh, actually hung a tree stand in a giant power pole. There were some giant power lights going through it. It was a piece of public land. I, uh, even though I could hunt a lot of the private farms around there, cause I grew up in an area where hunting wasn't, and back in that era, hunting wasn't so serious. So it's like, you knew all these farmers, they let you hunt. They let a lot of other people hunt. But anyways, uh, I was on public right there and there was a giant po power pole and I hung my tree stand in there, which was probably technically illegal um, because it's <laughs> XL Energy owns that. And uh, <laughs> his dad actually worked for XL and he, he knew about it or heard about it. He's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. Uh, but anyways, I, I saw a different big buck later that night, several hundred yards away, climbed down, made a stock on him ended up getting like 17 yards away and did just kind of a rookie mistake and missed him, so to speak. Uh, he pegged me and I kind of choked is what happened there. But that gave me my first taste of like, wow, this is, this is really a rush. And also you can be very successful at it. You know, sitting back in the tree stand, I might've been just sitting there watching him all night and it was rut. So chances are he'd have been, you know, a mile or two away the next day or, or, or whatever, whatever. I would have missed out on that opportunity. No, so. man, that, that sounds super awesome. And, uh, and, uh, I can, I can identify, I can identify with that statement of missing. I, uh, I can identify with that as well. There is something about even if you make it that close and miss, just getting that close in general is pretty, is pretty incredible. But I, I didn't want to interrupt because it was, it was towards the beginning of your story, but I just want to clarify, you were on your way to school, saw a deer, yes, and then just diverted, which I love. That's like, that is I, so... I respect that move. I remember I had about a half hour, 40 minutes of light before I'd have to actually be to school, you know, uh, you know, like, uh, 
So uh, to, to, to avoid skipping school, I guess, if you would. Yeah. So I think I actually made it to school. My memory serves me right on time because I blew it like that. I got close to that big buck, but then he like, you know, caught a little bit of wind or something there, blew it. So the hunt was kind of over, but I was all jacked up about it. I, I remember it was one of the few times that I called my mom because there was some skipping school that happened there occasionally, of course. <laughs> but, uh, I remember that one. I called my mom and told her, like, you need to call me in, like, sick or appointment or whatever. Like, I need to get out. And so I did get out that after later that afternoon <laughs> when I hung the tree stand in that power pole. So, yeah. <laughs> that, that is quintessential Wisconsin right there. And, uh, you know, everybody knows that when you're going to school, there's, like, there's on time if you're some goody two shoes, but then there's there's on time in terms of just avoiding potential bad ramifications. So those are two very different on times. Yeah, yeah. I guess if if you're listening, kids, don't skip school, don't hang your stands and in, in power lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. That was what was I thinking? There? I mean, you're talking like, yeah, hey, you know, technically it's illegal. I'm like, technically it sounds like you could get electrocuted. Uh, I made sure I was like ten feet below. These were giant ones, so I made sure I was not anywhere near the line. Oh, good oh. solid. Yeah, no, a good solid ten I, feet. All right, I'm giving too much away. All right, do not hang your tree yeah. stand. Yeah. A, good, a good solid ten feet, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, never mind then. Never mind then. Not, not, now I just feel like birds a, land right on the wire, Mark, and they they're just that's complaint. Okay, and, and avoid avoid them on wet days. I'd, I'd probably encourage that as well. A little you slick. Know. Well, wet, yeah, electricity, you know. No, really. yeah, they're so, not about those things. Let's just stay away. Stay away. We'll just go stay illegal. Back. Just stay on. Just stay on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why yeah. You even get in the tree? The whole point of this podcast. Yeah, Jared's proven that you don't need to get in the tree. Mm-hmm. So even though I, I love getting in the tree, man, like I grew up. You love getting in the tree, Mark. I, yeah. You love it. And I feel like I've got somewhat of a unique perspective because I grew up prominently rifle hunting. Back, you know, back home, you had to pick your season. So I was rifle hunted with my dad, my brother, my family. So my first time getting in the tree stand, I was probably, tw- you know, early tw- 25, something like that. And uh, I was in Nebraska. It was like my, my third week in Nebraska or maybe a little bit after that and got in the tree and shot a deer with my bow. And I was like, dude, this is the best. But I also like, I like, hunt- I like all kinds of hunting. That's fair. So totally I guess fair. I guess what I want to come off is I don't want to be dogging on hunting in the tree because I think hunting in a tree is cool and I think it's super effective. However, Mark, you I, never want to you don't want to make any enemies here. No, I but, know. But hunting on the ground, super exciting, super mobile, shift on the fly. You're not you know less limiting. I would th- assume at at times. So maybe let's let's talk about hunting on the ground, Jared. Maybe some some of the tips and tactics and stuff that you implement to. You know, I know, I mean, I know, like, you don't get them every time, right? But you don't get them every time doing anything. Right, right. That's honey. No, you, I mean, there's some good points there. Like, there's been quite a few times, like, over the years where I've looked, you know, discovered something uh, while hunting uh, from the ground. Uh, You know, I've discovered a spot where I'm like, you know, if I was doing the tree stand game, that, that actually makes the most sense right there, you know, to, to hang a tree stand. So, um, and, and I think hunting from a tree stand gives you a cool experience in a different kind of way. I don't think it jacks you up quite the same as being on ground level, but there's also some other factors. It's more relaxing. You can kind of sit back there and just watch everything. It's peaceful, you know, whereas when you're hunting on the ground like that and trying to be successful, you, you're a little bit more on pins and needles, always having to be aware of everything that's going on a lot more. So it's a little bit more, 
I don't look at it like it's stressful, but it probably kind of is to some degree because you're going to blow more deer. You're going to, you, you, that's, that's the, that's the main thing. You're going to blow pockets out. You're going to blow deer out at times, but there's a lot of pros to it too. Obviously you already kind of talked about the rush you get from hunting on the ground from a public land aspect. I like just being able to adapt to, you know, like if I run into another hunter, come across another hunter, it's no big deal. I haven't lugged a bunch of gear in there. I haven't. Uh, and also, if I was playing the tree stand game, you go into a piece of public and you you drag all this gear in there, you hang it up, and then another hunter moves in on you, you kind of like feel like your hunt is blown. Yep. Like to me, I just shift. I just, you know, okay, I'm on the ground. It's really easy for me to adapt, like you said, Mark, which whitetails are constantly uh, like playing that being being adaptable to them. You know, whitetails, I mean, uh, that that's one advantage you strongly have over hunting on the ground versus versus uh, tree stand is uh, a lot of times I think people are maybe a little bit more skeptical. They're in their tree stand and they're thinking more of like, oh man, I see him. I hope he comes by versus I'm going to climb down from this sucker and head him off. He's not going to come. I'm not waiting for tomorrow. I'm going to go for this right now. And back in those earlier days, those first few videos we did, we had hunting on the ground and we also had tree stand footage in the first three videos. But I've only ever shot on the videos one deer out of a tree stand, and that was the first video. But there was other times where I was in a tree stand and climbed down and put in a, a stock on a, a deer that I initially spotted from the tree stand. And then uh, back in 2010 season, that was the first year where we were just like, let's just hunt all on the ground and do it this way. And ever since then, we've, you know, that's, that's all we've done. And uh, the encounter rate has definitely went up. A lot of that has to do with on the public land side of things, uh, we can minimize acreage so much more efficiently, which is part of being adaptable. Like, you know, with it, with it, with the tree stand game, you, you kind of like I, the way I remember it. If I was coming across a new piece of public or a piece of public I've hunted in the past or past seasons, I'd go into it maybe a little bit more passively and then try it. And then the next day, if I didn't get on anything, maybe I'd dig a little deeper. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go in. I'm going to get a little bit more aggressive and go in. Well, on the ground, I just kind of like am more aggressive all around. And maybe in a couple hours, I eliminated this piece as being like, you know what, there's not much going on here this year or, or whatnot. And, and in the past that might've taken me two days to do now I might do it in two hours and then I'm on to the next piece. And so I, mm. you know, we're, we're able to cover a lot more ground, you know, and, and also, you know, when you get that visual on a big buck, you're already hunting on the ground. So it's like you've been, you're used. So you're already in that mode of like, okay, where do I got to get? What's he doing? You know, is he hung up with a doe and I'm going to figure out my game plan to get in on him? Is he cruising? Where's he going to end up? Can I make a loop and get ahead of him? There's a lot of different options. You have more cards. I feel like I shouldn't say, I feel like just from what I've witnessed over the years, you have a lot more cards in actually determining the outcome of the, of the hunt and, and how close you're going to get. Now, one of the things that uh, comes up is when you're hunting aggressively like that on the ground, there's a lot of times you get into situations where you just simply can't range find them. You can't, you don't have the time. You, you got to make split second decisions a little bit more. You might, you don't have pre-cut lanes. You don't know, okay, that tree's 35 or 45. And so, you know, failure on the shots does happen from what I've noticed. And it's not just me. It's, it's across the board. Although Chancey, the last few seasons, he's been like right there. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> fire he's been on fire which i knew he would be he, you know he came into the, the hunting on the ground for whitetails in 2015 and he adapted and learned so fast 
you know, what I, you know, I, I think in those early stages, he came in like ultra aggressive over, you know, but now he's learned like, okay, I got to put on my brakes a little bit here. And he is like unbelievably lethal and, and also very good at reading deer and, and everything in, in that department. And also very good set of eyes on him. I remember that first year I hunted with Chansey. It was like, he was spotting as many deer as me. And I was like, Usually I'm used to, to like spotting most of the deer and I was like, Hey, this is kind of nice. I'm going to kick the seat back. You know, like we were on a Kansas hunt out in the plains where we were, you know, starting our hunt out in the vehicle t- until we had the visual and then, and then we'd put together a game plan. So it was like, man, this is kind of nice. Cause you're spot. Like, I don't have that feeling or, or that wonder of like, am I missing something? Like he was catching everything that I was anyway. So anyways, I kind of got rambling there a little bit. But, no, but, that that's awesome, dude. I mean, and you're talking, you know, that's one thing I want to talk about a little bit is like, you know, maybe stylistically how like the, the constant is you're hunting from the ground. Right. But like, I guess like, like a Kansas hunt, like Kansas Plains hunt is going to be different from like, um, you know, Midwest, Wisconsin, or even, you know, some parts of Iowa hunt, something like that. So what, like, how are you, like, what's your game plan on like a Kansas or South Dakota or North Dakota or something like that? Like what's your game plan there? Okay, so generally speaking, in a state or an area where the the terrain is a lot more open, a lot more flat, the first thing I'm going to do, even if I've hunted there before, generally speaking, the first thing that I'm going to do is stay either in the vehicle or very close to it. You know, like I might leave the vehicle and walk, you know, a short distance to a better glassing location. But glassing is the number one key there is I got to get the visual. I can cover a lot of acreage. And, and a lot of it's pretty flat and open, like in say like Kansas. And it's quite often to come across 160 acres of grass that's knee high or a little better. And it's like, well, I can see everything that's pretty much out there. And we might stop the vehicle and glass and see if we catch a rack in the grass. But outside of that, even if we'd walk out there and there was one out there, he's probably going to see us first buried in the, you know, buried in the grass. We're going to accidentally jump him. So we're better off to just sit back, get our visual and, and by doing that, we're able to cover a lot more acreage and really kind of like hone in. So that first couple of days, like say in Kansas, usually those first couple of days are spent finding what pockets, what kind of areas are, are, are worth our time this year. Like, cause generally they do change. They're not usually that consistent, um, in that wide open stuff from, from year to year. Um, sometimes you get lucky and they are, but, uh, I always try to keep that in my mind is just because it was good last year or just because it was hot yesterday doesn't mean today it's going to be. And I try to always keep that in mind. Like I might start out where I left off yesterday if it was good or last year if I if I come there this year. I might start off there, but I treat it with a grain of salt. Like I'm only going to give it a small sliver of my time. And if, if I'm not seeing what I like, I'm, I'm pulling the plug on it. And I might come back to it in a couple of days or a few days. It might get hot again. But that's part of being aggressive, too. And I kind of basically, you know, whether I'm using the vehicle or I actually like more in the timber stuff, if I got to like get out, get outside of the vehicle to do it, I keep that kind of same mindset and principle as far as like, okay, if I go into a piece of timber and it's, you know, I just don't see what I like. There's there's not the sign. There's not the visuals, whatever it might be. I completely start spending my time somewhere else and I might come back around in a few days, like I said. But uh, I, I keep that kind of aggressive approach. Do you uh, do you think like deer in open country are are traveling further distances? 
Like so sure. that, that's why it might be like hot one day and then vacant the next. But then those are those deer like miles away or how far do you think those deer are, are moving? Oh, yeah. Sometimes I had a hunt. Uh, it, it, it hasn't been on the video yet. I didn't get one. It was a late season bow hunt. So it wasn't even during the rut. And I was playing games with this big buck and he kept being on private most of the time. And finally, him and a couple other bucks bedded it like 30 yards onto the public in this little divot. And we, Matt and I, that was filming, we snuck in there and we got right up there about 25 yards, but it was a really tough scenario. Like they were in a little low spot and the grass was like a golf course where we had to, I mean, we were basically skyline. We knew we were going to be right when we came over the top. So it was one of those deals where it was like everything had to be right and executed right. You know, when we did come up and unfortunately Something I can't remember the details. Either the wind switched just a little bit, or one of them other little bucks caught something because there was three bucks and he took off. Anyways, I didn't get him. Obviously, the next day, I spot a a buck. It was kind of misty out, and I spotted a big buck. It was over two miles away from the vehicle location, and I could tell it was a big buck. It looked like it bedded, and we had actually gotten permit. It was public where he bedded, but we had gotten permission to walk through a piece of private field to come in there a few days prior, just in case that happened. So we didn't have like a two mile walk. We could get in there because keeping your visual is really key. Like you don't want to lose mm-hmm. that if you, because anything can happen. Those animals can shift. So we got in there, we had to lose our visual, but we got in there and I spotted them here. It turns out to be the same buck. And I'm like, I get up there and, and it here again, I, I know on that one, I did get busted on the, the wind. It switched for just a split second. I was into 13 yards on him. He was bedded. It's waiting for him. And he was a beautiful animal, like 155 right in there with short brows on top. Of it. But anyway, I did a GPS drop. That deer was 4.38 miles from where I had him the day before. Wow. Wow. As the crow flies, 4.38 miles. And it was for sure the same deer the next day. He was all the way back over there where I originally missed him. No kidding, that, huh? Yeah, yeah. So I think just by me kind of like disrupting him the day before, he just kind of like got out of the area. And then I think he kind of missed his home area a little bit or his, you know, and then because I, the rest of the hunt, I pretty much seen him over there, but he just never ended up on public again. So <laughs> <laughs> that's about, that's about, that's about how it goes. What, uh, you guys do a lot of decoying. And what, like, when did you start doing that? And, like, watching the videos, looks like a pretty unique decoy. Uh, I'm not sure you get it in stores, but may- maybe talk a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, so the first year that we started really using the decoy was in 2012, in the, more in the wide open stuff. We just, sometimes the, those deer are in, like, next to nothing, and we tried, you know, we were trying to figure out, like, how can we get, you know, there's two of us out there. There's a guy filming and there's a guy hunting. There's two of us that got to sneak in and wide open country. How, how do we pull that off? And so, um, we, we made a homemade decoy and, uh, it just didn't quite work. And we realized like when I was editing the footage, I realized that it was just getting too much shine to it. So we put hide on it and, and everything. And, and just, so that way it didn't have that shine. And so it has, proven to be successful, you know, a good tool to use. I treat it like it's a grunt tube or or a call. It's not something that's right for every scenario. Like it's great, great when you got a buck locked down on a doe and to to get in there close on him and and challenge him. It's great for that. But a lot of times, like 
what happens if they can see you coming from a ways away is the doe gets a little flaky. She doesn't like it. And she either notices something's up with it or doesn't want anything to do with that buck or whatever it is. But she usually is the one that blows the operation. So I'm a lot more picky on when I use it. You know, like Chancey, he uses it a lot when he rattles. Like it's pretty light. He'll take it in there. just gives them something to look at, you Mm -hmm. know, the deer if they do come in to to preoccupy their attention and it works really good for that as well. So the last few seasons, you know, I don't think people have seen, you know, I don't think we've had as much of, you, you know, utilizing it because there, there is a, there's another side of the coin to where it can really blow your operation. Sometimes you're better just to stay low key and sneak in their traditional format without them ever knowing and drawing attention to this, the, the scenario, you know? So how does one go about making a homemade decoy? What goes into it? <laughs> what goes into it? A lot of people want to know that. A lot of glue, Jim. Yeah, 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 yeah. So ours <laughs> is like a really light, light piece of plastic is what it is. And and then we just kind of like mounted that hide to it with like Mark's egg glue and, and then staples on the edges. And it I mean, doesn't it, look. What shape is it in? Uh, okay. So you, you, you haven't quite seen it or you, it's, no, it's, I say I haven't actually seen it yet, to be honest. Okay. It, it's slightly quarter in two is, okay. is the, because it. you know, the reason we had it that way is our idea was to, to kind of move. If, if you do just a straight head on, then you don't have enough coverage to hide, hide the person behind it. Got it. Uh, and two kind of still hides, but you know, you can kind of move with it a little bit, which we've done at times, but it gets a little hairy when they're, when they're looking at you and you try moving with it, it just looks like a ghost. Like one, you know, there's not independent movement within the decoy. So it's just <laughs> silhouette coming at them. It just doesn't look right. You we know, gotta, turkey, sure, they're turkeys. Uh, it'll work, you know, like a turkey decoy like that'll work. They're turkeys. They don't, you know, yeah. You know. <laughs> we got to get one of those things. You see the videos of like the, uh, army using those, um, new robotic pack mule things we'll just oh. cover one of those and hide and then that way you know it'll move sounds super independently. natural <laughs> yeah i haven't seen that so i can't comment on that I, <laughs> <laughs> top secret cia stuff yeah one of those top, <laughs> weird top secret cia websites i find myself visiting a lot of that military technology you know trickles down and eventually to the know, hunting world we'll see that in the in the decoy world what about like yeah so i think about and I see you guys do it super successfully, like in the in the Midwest too, like more timbered, you know, bluff country. Or, but also, like I think about when I hunt around here, and I'm just like, dude, I'm just like not gonna get away. I'm just I don't seem like easier to get away with it maybe because you have cover, right? You've got more stuff to hide behind than that open terrain. But but also like moving through like noise, like way more brush in your way at least to me it seems like i think of the last two deer that i've shot and if i wasn't elevated like there's no way i'm getting an arrow through there so like how are you how are you navigating like terrain like that then like you you brought up a lot of good points there you you have some advantages and some more disadvantages like in the open country generally it's windier you know in that flatland open country so you have wind as like a cover noise when you're going through grass and stuff and you don't have leaves and all that loud stuff that you have in the woods, but then you, you don't have as much, as much cover sometimes in those scenarios. Sometimes you got enough grass height to, to pull it off. I think it's generally a little bit, you know, more challenging. It depends on the scenario. I mean, I mean, there's certain 
types of woods that you, you actually have better shootability at ground zero than in a tree stand. Like it sounds like where, where you were at, not the case. Um, so I generally will avoid if it's too hard to deal with, I'll just avoid that. Yeah. You know, as, if that makes sense, if it's like really a hot spot and there's, if I'm led to believe that there's big bucks in there cause I get visuals or whatever, or big buck went into something thick, I'm going to go in there and give it a shot. I'm just going to have to play my cards a little bit softer. Like if it's thicker, I'm going to have to move a lot slower, you know, especially if it's quieter out. Um, I mean, the, the general rule of thumb for me when I'm moving through timber is I have to be moving slow enough that the sound that I'm making doesn't get to them before that I can, before I can see them. Because if they can hear me coming, I mean, it sounds simple, but if they can hear me coming before I'm can, before I can actually get a visual on them, they're already looking for me. If that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have to move at a slower pace generally in the, in the woods than I, you know, obviously would in the open. So there's that. And then, uh, you know, but it depends, you know, if, if, if the deer are completely in lockdown and uh, buddy of mine, Daryl, he uh, he implemented this last year. He w- he drew an Iowa tag, hadn't hunted there before in that zone. And um, he was kind of having a little bit of a struggle hunt. And I was kind of in communication with him. And he said, he said, you know, I think right now they're in lockdown. I said, you know, you could try this technique. We've done it a few times. We did it on accident and then realized we can actually implement this. But I was like during lockdown like that. Literally just walk through the woods. If it's open enough woods, literally just walk through the woods with the idea of covering a lot of ground because he was hunting all public too. So he had a lot of acres, a lot of different spots he could go into. I was like, go through the woods until you actually bump a big buck. That's locked on a doe because you got to be able to cover ground. And I know this sounds crazy, but we had it happen on accident a few times and implemented it. But what happens is, is if they're locked down on a doe, they usually don't go that far after you bump them. You give them a little bit of time to calm down. And then now you know, like, okay, I got this pie sliver shape kind of like this direction. They went this way. And and they're probably not going to be more than 150 to 400 yards ahead of where you last seen them. Hmm. Um, almost every time in, in a, like a wooded type scenario. And at that time of year when they're locked down with a doe, they don't do much of that looping stuff because the doe tries to do it. And he right away is trying to cut her off. And he's like, forgot about you within a matter of, He's like, oh, shoot, there's a human. And then I don't know if they're that one track mind thinking or what, but it's like, oh, shoot, there's a human. I got to go. Oh, wait, my doe. I got to stop her. And then pretty soon it's like he forgot all about that you were ever there. And he stops her from doing that looping and all that a lot of times in the timber stuff where he can pull it off. In the open, sometimes that doe will cut and, you know, get far enough ahead. So, yeah, it's like you say, it's 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 a little more challenging at times to pull that off in the woods. Um, I remember a case back in 2013 where we went in into a piece of timber and I did a rattle set and uh, I had three bucks come down and one was almost a shooter, but not quite. And they all went kind of back where they came from. And I realized, oh, those are satellite bucks. There's something better up there locked down with the doe. They were bored. That's why they all came like they came from a little, you know, 30 yards. One was 30 yards this way. One was 50 yards this way, but they all kind of just what's going on over there. And they went back. So I did a loop and, and we found this shooter that was up there with a doe. And, and we had like three attempts. We had to back out, lose our visual three different times. They relocated and we had to find him back. It took eight hours from the time that we executed that to finally get him. But dude, that's wild. I mean, and that's such, that is such a long time to be like 
like at that level of like heightened alertness, like hyper focused. Dude, eight hours, that's a long time to be working that an is, animal. That is. There's like uh I have enjoyed the hunting from the ground stuff. In fact, I haven't hunted from a tree yet. Because I so I can't bash it or anything like that. And I'm not even here to bash it at all. But I I can't I haven't been able to bring myself to do it. And I used to say it was because, oh, I don't think I'm patient enough. I'm too impatient. But there's like different kinds of patience and it's not to say that if you're hunting from the ground, you, you're impatient. You still got to be pretty patient. It's just very much, they're different, you know? Well, it's, it's you have to be patient in that you got to keep going or, or diligent maybe or something along those lines. I mean, every, all, all types, you know, mm-hmm. whether you're sitting in one spot in a tree waiting and you know or, or you, you're hoping for something to happen, that takes a lot of sort of uh, mental fortitude to stay there you know, and trust that you're in a good spot. And then also if you're moving around, that takes a lot of, in a different sense. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, you're, you got kind of more of like a, maybe this isn't the right term, but more of like a passive and an active hunting. And like in the tree stand, you've done a lot of work. You've gotten into a spot, you've read sign, you know, used a lot of woodsmanship, maybe you've been scouting. And then it's like almost like that big poker moment. Boom, you're pushing your chips in, right? You know, and then like we talked about it before, you definitely, it's it's different a little bit in that, like, once you settle in, other, a really cool part about it is, like, the woods just happen around you. So you're, you're watching things kind of, like, as they would go on, like, almost like you're not even there. Like, you're just this observer, and things are going on about you, and, and you know, hopefully, if the wind is right, stuff doesn't know you're there. But, uh, but yeah, then you've got, you know, this more active style where, like, you're talking, I mean, that you're alert in different ways. Like, when you're on the ground, you're, like, you know, feeling every, you know, every step, you know, oh, am I going to have a stick going to pop? Am I going to do, you know, like, there's just like, like you said, it, it is kind of stressful because you're... And you're a little bit more inserted into it, like you said, instead of kind of being passively sort of on the outside, so to speak. And I, I don't know if passively is the right word because it's not whatever. But, you know, you're, you're a little bit more in it. That's like what we were saying when we were in Arizona. Very different climate, environment, all that stuff. But hunting on the ground... And I likened it to what I had seen, you know, on whatever Nat Geo or Planet Earth or something like that. When you watch a puma or something hunting its prey and you're like, you feel a little bit more that way. Right, right. Like everything, you're creating more actions so more things have a consequence. Yeah. Right. Like good or right. bad. And, yeah. And, and, and Jimmy hit the nail on the head there. It, it is a different like passive, you know, he, he brought up like patience, passive yeah, I always call it like a, you got to have, to be a successful ground hunter, you can't be full aggressive. You have to have a good balance of passive aggressive, like knowing, you know, like, okay, I need to cover ground right now. Like as fast as I can, he can't hear me. He can't see me. I need to get to this spot. And then you just bought yourself some time to where you might need to be passive now for hours and, and, and go into that mode and read it right. And I think the, the more a person can, you know, if, if they're naturally a super aggressive person, like I was bringing up Chancey early, he comes in naturally a lot more aggressive. And so he needed to develop a little bit more of that passive. OK, I need to put my bra- I just need to just put the brakes on here a minute. And this is this is where I, the timing of the timing of doing that is key, too. Right. Know? So I like that you brought that up, Jimmy. Yeah. That's a good point. Totally. Well, and then you're talking about like just making decisions like you're having to make a lot more decisions. You know, like, should I do this or should I do this? Okay, it's 10 seconds later. Should I do this? Should I do this? You know, mm-hmm. and, and like I said, I love the tree because I find 
there's so much that goes into it, but it is like somewhat therapeutic and, and meditative at times where, you know, like on the ground, like, like I said, you're, you're making decisions on the go constantly and they all have a consequence and, you know, some, yeah. sometimes good, sometimes bad. That was a hot tip though. I really like that, that. I mean, that was a hot tip on if you bump, you know, a lockdown buck that it's not over. Yeah. And, and like I said, Daryl, that was his first time actually, you know, he was kind of like had two, three days of just like, I can't find nothing. And he implemented that and it ended up working for him. And he was like, it sounds crazy, but like I said, we, we accidentally did it a few times Mm -hmm. and then it's like, yeah, that's actually something that we can use like to, you know, when you have a lot of acreage, like if we had 40 acres of private ground or, or just we're married to that, maybe you wouldn't want to do that, you know? Right. (laughs) But have a lot of acreage and and you have determined that generally when you're not seeing the small little bucks running around you know that they're satellite and something else so obviously you're in lockdown so once that happens it's like okay we're in lockdown we're going to need to cover you know they're not coming out of their pockets where we can visually see them that much it's time to get aggressive get a you know get them bumped get a visual on them now we kind of know they're not going to go along super ways so yeah even i remember when we were in uh when we were in arizona and i brought it up twice but you know those are desert whitetail right still related and uh that first stalk that i went on bumped a deer and i was with mc ryan and he was actually he was following along behind with a with a camera bumped a deer and we both saw it get up and take off and i remember that we were thinking you know ah man bummer so we head back up to the trail and neither of us are really trying to be quiet at that point in time i got stuck by a prickly pear or something like that in my leg and yelped and then got back to uh to Shannon back there and he said hey that deer's still out there and it had only moved up about 150 200 yards really just moved up the little wash that we were in I didn't know that and he's like yeah he just went back up there and there's actually two bucks up there now and they're looking like they're about to bed down they bedded down went back and followed the exact same trail I took the first time on the stock and then ended up getting a shot again only 150 200 yards up the wash on that deer, unfortunately missed him. And then it was like, after that, that took a long time. We had to get back to the truck and everything. So I came back. And by the time I got back to Shannon too, he's like, Oh, that was crazy. We're talking about it. He goes, yeah, those deer are still out there. They were only yet another like 200, 300 yards off to the side then. And it was crazy. Cause they just, they kept getting bumped and one time got shot at and still didn't go Super, super far. That's pretty wild. Well, I'm gonna plug. I'm gonna plug the uh, the Vortex Nation podcast pod venture that we went on, Jim, to Arizona, and the video because, folks, you can actually watch this happen. Where Jim, what do we call that? Jim gets ninja close or something like something that. Something like that. Jim, Jim got <laughs> in this buck's bedroom and he was there for hours. Jared, you'd have been you'd have been super proud. And actually, like watching, like Jim was doing all sorts of yoga calisthenics getting in tight on this buck. I'm and sure you've done that many times. You find yeah, as I once was or agile. <laughs> <laughs> you find yourself where I, I play every time my nieces and nephews come over, they all want to play twister, oh, you know, yeah. and then you get everybody right hand, yellow, left foot, green, red hand, you know, left hand, red. And then you get a bunch of just people all tangled up in one another and your arms and legs are all over the place. And I remember as I was doing that, I was like, this is fantastic twi- twister practice. All, all that, all that twister finally, all that twister finally, finally, finally paid, off. paid off. So there you go. What, what were you going to say, Jared? Though you're saying something there. Oh no, I, I was just saying that's yeah, exactly like you. You know, you when you have something like that for hours and you get in tight like that, your body's generally not in a very comfortable position for hours. <laughs> and that's another factor that I was 
you know, I kind of alluded to like, you know, on the ground like that, sometimes you don't have time to range or things happen fast. That's another one, you know, like how many people go out and crawl around and hang out in an uncomfortable position for hours. And then quickly, like in a matter of a few seconds, you got to determine like, okay, I need to take this shot and then do that. You know, I mean, it can Mm -hmm. be done, but in the real life, that's another little thing. Like from the tree stand, you're generally in a pretty comfortable position. Everything's relaxed. Okay, now I can take my shot. Your your muscles are all rested. You're not in some weird, you know, form. So yeah, yeah, you haven't you've been cramped up for eight hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's one thing. Like I do love about like a longbow is I can kind of shoot in different different body positions. Like with a compound, I got to be you know my my whole body's got to be upright. That's an, that's another thing that I I guess uh, I, I find that when I get in tight, like I can keep that bow flat and just sometimes they got me pegged and they're just like, what is that? And it's buying me just a little bit of time. But if I'm like upright, it's like, Nope, I know what that is gone. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wanted to bring that up. Cause I'm glad you brought that up. The old trad bow. Jim, Jim, Jim's a trad bow guy. And, oh. but I know cause you, you were compound, you know, I mean, I think that's probably what you started off doing and then, and made, made that jump. And obviously you talked about some of them right there, but it seems like there are quite a few advantages to, to going with, with that, style of bow maybe maybe dive deeper into that i yeah, know jim will love it if you're a better shot than me then you you have some distinct advantages in certain <laughs> scenarios right there's a lot of advantages from the uh like what i was just talking about you know like you can be very low to the ground also shooting at like a big one i got a few years ago he was actually on the move well it's just a lot more instinctual to be able to hit a moving target and for a lot of people it's actually easier to hit a moving target with a trad bow than versus a stationary. Really? Um, that's yeah. what I've found. Especially somebody that's never shot one before. I've seen this where I've put a bow, you know, a long bow in their hand, first time shooting it. They can't hardly hit a stationary target. You, you like kick a basketball and it's just like, they might not hit it, but they're a lot closer than they were on the stationary. Cause they're not, th- they don't have time to think about it. Yeah. Right. The more, the more you think, with a trad bow, the worse you'll shoot. I think. I, I at least that's that's my opinion. If you think, you're dead. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's right. It, what it, movie's that from? <sighs> Anybody? Come on, <laughs> Top Gun. Oh, I was just gonna say Top Gun. I'm not. I well, just I really w- was. I, I was, wasn't gonna I leave to go. it out there forever. No, that's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dead space. On, <laughs> you know, on the radio is, is basically yeah, the kiss of death. Yeah. But uh, I remember. You know, when I was in high school, I played a lot more sports than I did any kinds of outdoor stuff. And I remember basketball was always a big one. And you'd sit there some days at the free throw line, sitting there, everything's perfectly still. You're not moving, nothing's happening, and you're shooting, and you just miss, 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 miss. And then all of a sudden, you just take like a dribble and you step to your left and take a shot, boom, and you hit it. And it's just, it's just that little bit of it's that Shaq change syndrome. up, Shaq syndrome. Yeah, I don't know if uh, it's quite that, but you know, it's it's that little bit of something to uh, keep you from overthinking it, like you said. I, I think that's exactly it. It's not so much that you're moving because I do that quite a bit when I'm like not on my game or whatever when I'm practicing. I'll just walk straight away from the target sometimes, and then just like in one motion, like whirl around and and shoot, and it's like okay, well, it's it's. I think what you said there is. I, I don't allow my brain doesn't have time to like consciously think about anything other than just shooting. Yeah. And, and that kind of jacked me up last fall. See, I've always shot with like a floating anchor point, which is 
it can have some advantages, but it can also have some disadvantages. And so I, I was really trying to like work and develop, you know, cause I got into to where I just shot so much with a floating, like just whatever. And I, I'm pretty decent at that, but I really wanted to like dial in a, a more consistent anchor point and still have the floating anchor point in my arsenal for times. But I just didn't get enough of a jump on it before the season. And for a while, like, you know, yeah, it was, I was definitely getting dialed in. Well, then hunting season came and it really jacked me up on a deer, a big deer, because it came out and it was right in my wheelhouse, like just low 20 yard yardage rain, beautiful. And I overthought it. You know, I started thinking about my anchor point and I was like three feet in front of him. And I was just like, whoa, how did that happen? And, and he gave me another shot and I was closer, but I was still just like, over the well the next day i shot and i kind of like i started to realize like i just got to go back to what i knew and maybe i can restart at the earlier part of this year and get a more of a jump on it to where i don't think about that anymore you know i don't have that so i was like kind of like toying with like if i'd have just done what i always did i'd have been probably pretty solid but i consciously like went in my brain rather than shooting i went in my brain like okay hit my anchor well it totally jacked everything up and yeah that that's what I think happened there. Matt just tried telling me he was filming that. He tried telling me, well, you were standing on like a slope like this for 45 minutes and we're both freezing our asses off. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, but so, there was something more to than, than just that. And yeah. that, that's what really had had the most effect there. So yeah. It, and I sucked. I played games with that deer. I had six stocks and seven days on them too. Oh. So. He was the smartest deer I ever hunted. I could get in compound range pretty much every time, but the scenario just – the way he'd bed, the, it was before rot. And uh, the, everything that he'd do is just so, like, if the wind switched within a half hour, he was, like, moving 30 yards to accommodate it. It was just crazy. And uh-huh. finally, he had the right scenario. We just barely snuck in there, waited for him, and uh, he got up out of his bed and came right up where we needed him to, to go. Normally, I'd sneak right in while they're bedded, but he was so damn sharp that it just, like, I would watch him from a mile away, and he – haven't went after him all day. He has no idea I'm hunting him. Nobody's hunting this deer or found that I've seen. And he would get up out of his bed and just sit there like, like, uh, like he's being hunted. And he'd stare around like immediately just, and I was like, well, we can't sneak. Like as soon as he sta- stands up, he's going to do what he does all the time. Like what's going on? Am I in danger? You know, it was weird. Interesting. So. There is just kind of uh, continuing to um, bask in the excellence of, having a conversation with somebody where we're outnumbering Mark in terms of, you know, trad bow is, is best, <laughs> but there, there is also just like a certain, for lack of a better term, romantic aspect to it. You know, though, when you're on the ground with a bow made out of wood, that's just basically a stick and a string, you know, and you got an arrow in there and you're moving around. It, it feels so much more, back to basics, back to the way that they used to do it, you know, many, many moons ago, back when, you know, Legolas was roaming the cliffs of Mordor, and, uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, anyway, um, got, got sidetracked there. Jim, but, you're, you're, uh, you're a car guy, right? Yeah. There's a reason we invented the wheel, okay? It works. 
<laughs> yeah, but the Tradbo isn't the wheel. I mean, it, the the tra- it's got, no, you're right. You yeah, you're, it's like you you're dragging your items around on I sticks. Shoot, I shoot carbon arrows out of my Tradbo, all that stuff. What what it is to the compound bow is the manual transmission to the automatic transmission. That that's okay. what it really fair, is. Fair fair enough. And and just <laughs> so anybody, Jim and I like. I actually I love Tradbos. I I'm super infatuated with them. I don't. I haven't hunted with one yet. But uh, Jim and I just like to give each other a hard time. Yeah. They're also they're also lighter weight when you're in there and you're doing all those yoga moves and stuff like that. The the compound, even the real fancy ones, your PRS bow mark, <laughs> even those ones, they get a little they get a little weighty after a while and they're kind of out there. And you're holding it all around the you know. It's actually that's a, that's a good point. Like like my uh, main long bow that I've hunted with, it's one point one pounds, and yeah. it spit. 760 grain arrow at 198 feet per second, which is really impressive for the, like how heavy, you know, it's only 1.1 pounds, you know, it's actually pretty impressive how fast it, you know, like a high end compound today would probably shoot a 660 grain arrow at what, 260, 270? Probably something like that. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that'd be probably moving. I I don't know. You know, I could be wrong, but uh, I think you're talking five, six pounds probably on the compound all set up. So it's actually... Uh, I like the simplicity of it too. You know, like you just got a shelf there and your arrow sitting on it, but it does have some disadvantages at times too. Like mm-hmm. for instance, a deer that I was chasing, I could get in a compound range pretty, I mean, that would have been, you know, like while I'm doing all these stocks, I'm just like, man, I've never had a deer that I can't get like, like I've had them occasionally where it's like, yeah, I could maybe get it. But this deer was just like, Man, I can get to compound range. I can't get to longbow range. So, like, there's no way. There's he's gonna see me. He's gonna smell me. Get everything covered, you know. So, uh, but with a compound, it would have been a little bit neater of a ending for me. <laughs> and, and even even beyond that, not during the bow season, but that is that, that's why I like rifles. <laughs> hey, I love gun hunting too. I actually do. But I it's I think for me. You know, I, I start out the season, you know, I love bow hunting more than gun, obviously, but I do so much bow hunting September, October, November, and I've got my ass kicked a lot. And gr- gr- I, I have that grind of, of all season and all these scenarios. And uh, I think when the guns kicks in, it's like, for me, it's kind of like, oh, cool. Now we can, now we can party. But at the same, <laughs> at the same point, it's actually, in my opinion, on a public land scale, the, generally to, to, to get as good a quality animal, there's more legwork that actually goes into it than, say, like during the rut chasing them or early season where they haven't been pressured. By the time the gun season gets there, a lot of those good quality public land animals are either super sketched out or most of the times they aren't really on it anymore. Gotcha. And maybe, you, you know, mm-hmm. so you got to put in a lot more legwork from what I've seen just to to, to, to get your opportunity at something. So it's no like, yeah, if I had a gun during the, during the bow season and like early season or, or, you know, there's a few like early muzzleloader gun hunts or whatever, but those don't appeal to me. It's different. All those deer are still kind of on the public. It'd be kind of like super easy. And I just, it's not what I would want to do, but by the time actual gun seasons for most States kick in, they've had so much pressure that, you know, it's it's not uncommon to go three, four, five days or or better 
of grinding, doing drives, walking, glassing, and, and never getting your opportunity. So you remember, you remember I mean, what I was telling you, Mark? I said that after doing that bow hunt, what I thought would be an awesome idea is that when the rifle hunt comes around is you just build an SBR suppressed 300 blackout bolt action rifle and then you just do all the same exact things just go bow with a, hunt them with the rifle just go bow hunt them with a rifle and you just put a red dot on top <laughs> <laughs> it's not i mean it's not a bad call you know i mean and you make a good point though jared like i you know i guess whatever just one season but i ended up getting lucky and i killed a pretty nice buck with my bow on public here in wisconsin this year completely blanked yeah, that's with really the, nice deer. oh I thanks man appreciate it yeah. yeah but blanked with the rifle like I didn't, I didn't get an opportunity yet. I don't even think I got an opportunity at a buck with the rifle. Yeah, me either. Not this year. Right. Yeah. No. I see. I've seen that. I, in fact, we haven't had like a super strong gun season in a few years. This last one was actually really good for us. But, uh, but yeah, the gun season was has kind of been a little bit rougher on our end, where our bow season's still been, you know, pretty decent over the years usually. So yeah, I mean, I I think that just, I mean, it's not because we're not grinding and 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 out there and active it's just by the time that hunt comes around a lot of times and, and there's more variables like we had a hunt a few years ago in iowa muzzleloader hunt and it was the first time doing that hunt we had a great hunt in a matter of four days we killed three bucks should have had a couple other big ones oh wow and it, we did it the next year it was a ghost town five days we couldn't we couldn't we couldn't get a visual on a shooter in five days well that particular hunt the year before there was this much snow with the crusty layer, and it was in Iowa where they have a, they leave a decent amount of standing corn on the public. So the deer, the, the next year, there was no snow when we couldn't get on anything, and all those deer were still spread out across all the private and everything and eating off the ground, you know, getting a lot of food, acorns or whatever. There was, you know, whereas before they were kind of more packed, you know, crowded. So you had that variable in that particular case. So you do also wonder. If we mandated people having suppressors, would it help? You know, because I like you say when you get to the gun season, now there is all the pressure of just more people. There's a lot of folks out there. There's a there. lot of people. I mean, but I'm it a- wouldn't sound like World War Z. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, so uh, yeah, there's. I do love waking up in the morning and walking out on the front porch. Well, it doesn't happen at my house anymore, but where my parents used to live when I was growing up, walking out on the front porch and hear. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, a strong gun hunting tradition here in Wisconsin. That there is. That there is. God, oh, yeah. I actually would like if I was hunting Wisconsin gun, I would miss not hearing those gunshots because it kind of like gets you kind of like excited. Oh, they're having action over there. Maybe those deer are going to come this way. Yeah. Maybe. So I'd kind of miss that. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jim. Don't take that away from yeah. us. Well, I, I, no, I. <laughs> All right, all right. I, I'll agree in the, in the sense that sometimes when you're out there and you're thinking, oh, man, maybe I should just pack it up, and then you hear a boom in the distance, and you're like, oh, nope, they're out here. Something's out here. I guess I'll stay a little longer. Yep. It can, yeah. It, it, it can be motivating, and it can be, um, like, uh, completely uh, drive you nuts because you, when I've heard 200 gunshots, and at 1 p.m., I haven't seen a deer yet. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> your FOMO. Well, I'm like, they're all dead. Your they FOMO's got them kicking in. Yeah, they got them. <laughs> anyway, we got we got sidetracked. Totally side. That's Wisconsin. You know, I mean, other states are a little bit different. I mean, rifle hunts aren't as like super. I mean, like this is an opening day in Wisconsin. That's a pretty intense 
barrage of, of fire. I think, you know, a lot of deer get shot. A lot of people are in the woods, which is fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah. But what about, hey, I want to circle back, though. So we're talking about bumping a deer. I'm, I'm backtracking here. You know, like bumping a deer that's locked down with a doe. But, like, what if it's, like, just a regular deer? Maybe he's cruising or, or maybe you found him for whatever reason, but he's, like, not in that super lockdown, hyper-focused on that doe, like, is it over? Or are you st- are you still going to maybe get on that deer again, or or do you, how do you have to adjust? Or in the open country, it could still be on where you can keep a visual on him and see see where he goes. You know, he might go into a draw system. He might run for a mile, go into a draw system, and by that point, figure he's put enough distance between you and him, and maybe you can get around there and and find him back. I mean, every scenario and situation is different. Like you know, if I was in like bigger wooded type area or on the fringes of private and he went that direction, I, you know, obviously it could be over in, in a case like that. You know, if they don't have a doe on them like that at that time of the year, if they're cruising and you bump them, unless you kind of got a pretty good idea where he's going to go and where you might be able to get there in time to cut him off, it, it's probably over. Although a few years ago we were on a hunt, Shay and I were, and we went in after a buck that we got a visual on and, and it was more like low brush, thick kind of stuff for the most part. We got a visual on him in a little open pocket, but we got in there and he ended up bumping and he did not have a doe to our knowledge. I think there was a hot doe running around up in there somewhere, but he wasn't like on her, like wherever she's going kind of thing. And we quickly realized, okay, we might be able to catch him in this pinch point up here, like 400 yards. So we backed out, did a loop real quick and got there as fast as we could and got there with probably like 30 seconds to a minute of time. And he landed right in our laps, and it was over. So it worked in that case. Every scenario is different. It's, I, th- I think, you know, a big part of it is hunting on the ground like that. The more experience you get, the more you get well around, you're going to be able to read, like, okay, I'm going to cut my losses. This is over. Or, hey, we might be able to pull this off. You know, let's try this. I mean, and that's the thing I like about hunting on the ground, too, is it, it's, it's literally it, – it's a different game, and it really, like – forces you to think about like okay what could we do right now in this scenario what could we how could we make this happen and it's it's like a chess match that it is i like it i like that i feel like i've got more questions but i can't think of them right now watch some dvds man then you'll get the questions will start coming to you tomorrow we'll have to have them on again if you want to see some exciting deer hunts like i said i love i love watching people i love hunting content but this is this is some it's exciting, it's dynamic, it's engaging. You guys are cool, super relatable dudes, and uh, it's good stuff. Check it out, Whitetail Adrenaline. Buy you a DVD. Are they all for sale online? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're on there, and, and we got trailer videos for almost all of them, so people can kind of watch it, get a little bit of a teaser. I mean, the trailer videos only show so much. Usually, they're a little bit more like showing more of the action. And, you know, whatever's going on there. But I mean, there's a lot of like humor and, you know, it's like, you know, a lot of people have told us it's like going hunting with your buddies. You know I mean? Like you mentioned, Mark, I mean, vehicle breakdowns, you know, up, oh, we we're speeding, we got pulled over, whatever it might be. I mean, it could be, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a very, you know, there's a lot of different little like scenes and, and, yeah. and things. I feel like you guys are kind of like the original vloggers, but on DVD, like, as far as like just like that run and gun, hard cut, like fast paced format, like OG. I dig it. I'm like 
uh, obviously like being like a white tail adrenaline like advertisement right now. That's not my intention because I think people will, this is this is this is I truly think people that like to hunt white tails will enjoy this if if they're not familiar already, which a lot of p- folks are obviously. But oh so, yeah, I don't I don't want to act like oh nobody's ever heard of you. Let me let me tell everybody because that's obviously no, not the case. I, but there's there's quite a few people. I mean, because we live in the DVD world and we haven't ever been on TV, there is there is a lot of people that still haven't ever like that buy our videos for the first time. Oh yeah. I've never heard of these. Okay, cool. You know, like, so. Well, and hopefully with this podcast, um, one more person will, will one know more, about it. The one listener that we usually <laughs> have, uh, that's been keeping us around for this long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Thanks guy. Yeah. Well, uh, cool. Uh, yeah, it's been great having you on. Thanks for coming on guys. I appreciate it. And uh, everybody who's listening, as usual, thank you for uh, for listening in. And where can they uh, can they find you on Instagram? I think, and I, I earlier you were saying I think Facebook, all that stuff. Yep. Just look for Whitetail yep. Adrenaline. Yeah, Instagram, Facebook, and then our website, uh, WhitetailAdrenaline.com. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Check them out. And uh, yes, otherwise we will see you next time. We'll keep trying to bring guests on virtually uh, as long as we can until you know. Hopefully that doesn't get banned. <laughs> until our lockdown Unt- phase until is Until viruses can spread yeah. <laughs> over the interwebs. But anyway, yeah, we'll uh, we'll keep doing this, keep some content rolling for you guys, and uh, yeah, we'll catch you all next time. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Jared. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Bye, everybody. Bye. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.